morning. This morning's text comes from Acts 13, 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bargesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Please join me as we pray God's blessing over today's message. Father, uh, your word has power and it has the power to transform us, Lord, to change us. Uh, we are eager to receive from you today, Lord. I just ask anointing over Tommy's preaching, Lord, uh, that you would grip our hearts with your beauty. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Being lost is one of those worst nightmare situations that can easily happen, even in your own city. Post-disaster, when everything around you is dramatically changed or reduced to rubble, you could find yourself swept along in a crowd of panic-stricken people. When you get a moment to look up, you discover you're lost. Far too many people lose themselves in wilderness situations, too. You could easily get lost hiking or bushwalking. But what about a martial law situation where you have fled to the mountains for safety? It's certainly not difficult to mistake or step off the track, even for experienced hikers. And if you're blazing your own trail or hiking alone, it's a real danger. Prevention is better than cure. Precautions are better than remedies. Wise preppers take every possible action to secure themselves against trouble. So if it does come their way, they are prepared to deal with it. What advanced preps can you make to safeguard against or ease this horrible situation. What I just read to you um, were the opening lines of an article entitled, uh, What to Do When You Are Lost on a Prepper's Website. Um, you guys know what preppers are, right? Um, it's an interesting mix of people who are convinced disaster is coming 
and doing whatever they can to prepare uh, for the inevitable time when when everything changes, when when the apocalypse comes, when the zombies are on the on the prowl, that sort of thing. You guys ever seen that 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 reality show, the Preppers reality show? It's an interesting group of people, isn't it? Um, but even as even as I say that, uh, there's something about their mindset that seems to make more and more sense to me. And and what I mean by that is, increasingly, I'm aware of people who who really don't know what to do um, when they are lost and seemingly are not prepared for when everything inevitably changes around them. As you might gather, I'm not really talking uh, about the same realm as the apocalypse preppers are. I'm talking about people who are personally, emotionally, and spiritually lost. Uh, When disaster hits and, and our personal environment changes completely, so many people, and this is even Christians, so many people become, become lost, and they struggle uh, making it through their lives. Here again what, the, here again what uh, the, the article I read said. Being lost is one of those worst nightmare situations that can easily happen, even in your own city. Post-disaster, when everything around you is dramatically changed and reduced to rubble, you can find yourself swept along in a, panic-stricken, a crowd of panic-stricken people. When you get a moment to look up, you discover you're lost. Now, don't you think that that could be said about a lot of people in our lives that we know that find themselves in that situation? Maybe it's not because there's been a nuclear attack, or maybe it's not because martial law has been called, but maybe it's because something else has happened that has changed their environment dramatically. Um, Maybe... It's the aftermath of a major health event or a broken relationship or the loss of a loved one. How often do we find ourselves when our personal environment is deeply changed with a deep sense after looking up that I'm lost? I don't really know what I'm doing in my life. I don't really know where I'm going. There is a wandering, there is a lostness in a life that is without intent or direction. When you don't know where you're going, when you, don't, when you don't know where you are, when you don't know what you're to be doing, when everything changes around you, those things that you've held on to, those things that you've, that you've anchored into, when it changes, you feel lost. It's fascinating because the advice that the Preppers article gives is not that dif- different than the advice, the advice we should take when we find ourselves lost uh, personally or spiritually. And even more fascinating is that I think this morning's text actually mirrors or gives us a direction in how to find ourselves, how to, how to find ourselves and not feel lost in the midst of a life that has changed. Right now, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the middle of a series entitled Unstoppable. And it is a study in the book of Acts because it shows us how this first century church, the, this church that fa- changed the face of the, of the world, that, that it shattered history, it shows us how to be that unstoppable church. We've been talking um, over the last several months about looking at this church and looking at their attitudes and their actions 
and seen them as an example for how we can live, how we can be a church that impacts the world around us, that impacts the lives around us. I mean, you got to remember, this church is a, it started as a church of 120 people in an upper room. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God moved on them, and, and they, had an ad, they had attitudes, they had actions, and, and they, they followed God in a way that to this day we have, uh, right now in this world, there's, a, there's 2 billion people who are Christ followers. Because of, what, because of what this church initiated and started, we stand here today worshiping God with billions of brothers and sisters this Sunday morning. So we look at this and we say, what, what was it about this church? What was it about these people that, that, that can show us how it is that we can be a church that impacts, that we can be a church that changes the face of the earth? The story of, of the, uh, that we read today gives us a great example of the impact of that church, the power of that church. As as we as we as Andy read read to us the story, what what we come across is this this incredible event, right? So what you have is you have these two men, Barnabas and Saul, who who is also known as Paul, who are sent out by the church into into an area of the Gentiles. The, the, God had moved on the hearts of the church at that point and said, "Listen, the the gospel isn't just for those who are Jews, and so we're going to send you into a place." And we want you to go, we want you to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And so they go out and they start, first of all, in the synagogue. And there's a reason why they started in the synagogue. First of all, it's because it, it gave them a connection to those people who had an understanding of the Old Testament. But even in there, it wasn't just for the Jews. Even within the synagogue, you had these people who were God-fearers, who, were, who weren't Jews, but who had begun to follow the way of Judaism. And this gave them some avenues into the Gentiles that they were there to reach. And so they begin to have these connections and these relationships, and they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are being impacted by it. So much so that the proconsul, the one who's been set up by, by, by the Roman Empire to essentially govern, um, govern that area, to, to oversee that area, begins to hear what they're preaching. Now, now just think about that for a moment. What you have is the mission of these people is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, and God orchestrates this opportunity for the person who oversees everyone to be challenged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just that, man. It's incredible to see this church moving as God lays things out before them. So the proconsul is listening and hearing this, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, um, Paul and Barnabas are challenged by this guy who's a magician, this guy who is a false prophet, this guy who, I mean, did you guys, do you guys remember the description that Paul gave of him? It's pretty harsh, wasn't it? You son of Satan. See if you get punched calling somebody that someday. <laughs> and he challenges him. And, he, and, 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 and Paul comes back and, and says to him, that's it. God is going to put his hand on you. And when he did, when, when, when God touched him, he made him blind. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Anybody here made somebody blind this week? 
It's, it's, this, it's this powerful church that is moving forward to testify to the power of God so that the church might have an impact, right? So he does this, and the guy goes blind, and it says the proconsul saw the power of God and gave his heart to Jesus Christ and followed him. That's a huge win, isn't it? That this is an incredible story of the power of God to change and transform the world around them. This is this incredible example of that unstoppable church that was moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world around them. As we talk about this, we're saying, listen, what do we see in this? What are the characteristics of this church? What do we see in their attitudes? What do we see in their actions that we can draw from and say, listen, we want to be that church. When I look at this, the heart of the lesson that we're looking for is not in the story I just told, but the impact that we just talked about was preceded by an event that I think ultimately leads us to the lesson that is found in this morning's text. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Let's stop for a minute and realize what I just said. We gave this whole story of, of what happened on the mission. But what do we see that preceded this? What do we see that took place prior to this? The, the first reality and the first lesson I think we have to learn from this morning's text is that Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, we're able to live lives of intent and direction empowered by the Holy Spirit that changed the world because they knew where they were and they knew where they were supposed to be going. Not, not in the way that we might think about, but in, a, but in a spiritual and very real sense. You read, this, you read that article that I, that I, that I read from, and it goes in and it gives us a list of different things that, um, that you need to do to prep for the disaster. And, and, and the first prepper's instruction is to have a map. It says, make sure you also take a comprehensive, up-to-date, detailed map with you. Now, the idea about a map is, is pretty straightforward. The idea is... You need to know where you are, and you need to know where you're going. If you, if you want to live a life that's not lost, you need to know where you are, you need to know where you're going. You need to know where that pathway is leading you. As we talk about this, for us, it's really not about this physical starting point and this physical destination, but it's about a spiritual one a spiritual starting point, and a spiritual pathway that's ultimately being revealed in this morning's text. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. 
This, this shows us the starting point and the pathway of Barnabas and Saul that allowed them to have lives of intention. They are set apart. They're set apart. The, their status, their, their, their spiritual destination, their, their positional identity was one of being set apart. Too many people are lost because they don't know where they are and they don't know where they're supposed to be going. And this is the, this is the case for, for both Christ followers and those who've chosen their own path. The truth of the matter is where we are supposed to be going is to the place of God's intention. The phrase used here, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, is, 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 the, is the positional identity. It is, it is the directional status of Saul and Barnabas. Where you are is set apart. Where you're to be is set apart. Where you're going is set apart. And, and, and it's this interesting, uh, it's an, it's an interesting uh, statement because it reflects the directional status. It re reflects the directional identity. It's, it reflects the starting point of all believers. And it's supposed to be the directional starting point of all people. That was the intention. The directional status is set apart. The Spirit of God is saying, your place is to be set apart. And it's not, just, it's not just Saul and Barnabas, it's us. That's why to me that this particular phrase as it's being used here is really, really interesting. Because it just isn't, doesn't just speak about Saul and Barnabas, but it speaks about who we are. Why do I say that? You look at the writings of, of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. And first of all, in verse 5, he says this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then you jump down to verse 9, and he writes and says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. What's his description of who we all are if we're in Christ? What is his description of, of, of who we all are? We are, he says, a holy priesthood. He, we are, he says, a holy nation. And then he goes in and he describes it even more. You are a people of his possession. You are his. You belong to him. And the, and, and the implication of it, when he says holy priesthood, he says holy nation. The, the word that's translated there as holy, the literal definition is set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively his. The, the status of every single one of us, the positional starting point of every single one of us, the direction that we're all supposed to be going is to be used exclusively for God, set apart for his purposes. We are his possession. We are to be set apart for the work exclusively 
to what he has called us. That is our starting point. That is our positional identity. No matter what happens around us, no matter what falls down around us, no matter how, how, the, how the nature of our life changes, the starting point is, I am for his purposes. The reason why so often we find ourselves lost in the midst of this disaster is we've lost sight of where we are and where we're supposed to be. We, we focus in on the things that we've lost. We focus in on our identity being found in the things around us instead of understanding we sit deeply for the purposes of God. That's where we are. That's where we're to go. And therefore, all the things that happen around us doesn't change that. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We know where we're going. We find ourselves lost in this world most often because we've lost sight of our destination. We've lost sight of our, uh, of our, of our starting point. We've lost sight of our purpose. You have to understand our relationships, our vocations, our lives are not about things here. Our lives too often become not about not our real purpose. And therefore, we become disoriented and confused and lost. There is no clarity when we are in uncharted territory. But God has set forth before us a path and a place in which we live. The calling is to be instruments of his glory, sacred and set apart for his purposes. I love the imagery of it because the imagery of it brings us back uh, so often to the Old Testament temple in which, in which the, the instruments that were used in the temple for, for the worship of God were called holy. They were called sacred. So as, as, as the people would come together and, and they would they bring forth sacrifices or they bring forth praises to God, all of those in, instruments, whether they were whether they, it was a knife or whether it was a, was a bowl or whether it was a laver, whatever it might be, they were set apart holy for the worship of God. This is what we are. This is our starting point. You have to understand that and bring it into all the circumstances of your life. Your marriage is set apart for the purpose of the glory of God. Did you know that? That the purpose of your marriage is not for your pleasure. The purpose of your marriage is not for your happiness. The purpose of your marriage is not so that you get good feelings. Do you, do you understand why if you have that view, if you have that idea, if you have that intention, it makes your marriage much more vulnerable, doesn't it? How many of us who've been married have ever found ourselves in the marriage not quite happy? If your marriage is about your happiness, it makes your marriage very, 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 very vulnerable. But if your marriage is about the glory of God, if your marriage is about standing and revealing what it is to live in fidelity, what it is to create faithfulness 
and to and 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 to and and to present to those around you the depth of love and sacrifice and grace and mercy because my marriage is about bringing glory to God glorifying God revealing God showing forth the beauty of God that's how i can then live in a way in which there is security in a way in which i don't feel lost your jobs are about the glory of god so often we find ourselves upset or depressed or or worried or concerned um, or frustrated in our jobs because for most of us our jobs become about a way of getting money I just show up and I get money. I just show up and I get money. I just show up and I do my thing. And the only reason I go to that job is so that I can make money. The only reason I go to that job is so that I can provide, so so that I can have things and have that and have that. Well, the reality is the word of God teaches us that even our vocation is meant to be used for the glory of God. That when I walk into that place, it's not as followers of Christ, it's not ultimately about the paycheck I get. It's about the way in which I show people the beauty of Christ in me and reveal to them my integrity, and reveal to them my compassion, and reveal to them my love for them. If you go to work every week, and the only reason you go to work is so that you can get money out of this, you've lost sight of your purpose. You've lost sight of your pathway. You've lost sight of where you are in Christ. And it's no wonder that when you lose that job or you lose that income, you feel lost. See, that job's not your provision. Your heavenly father is your provision. That job is your avenue to glorify God. There is nothing in our lives that is meant for us. It's all meant for the glory and the purpose of him. Your friendships are meant to glorify him. Your salvation is meant to glorify him. So your place in Christ, which you have right now, is really not about you. It's about him. It's so that God revealed in you the depths, it says, the depths of his mercy, the depths of his love. That that while you were still a sinner, he saved you. He died for you. He loved you. And so that you in your faith stand as a testimony to the beauty and the glory of God. This isn't something we hold to ourselves. And as a result, our place in the church, our participation in the body is not about us, but for his glory. This is how we get lost so often, even in our church situations. We come into church, somebody hurts our feelings, somebody does something that bothers us. We get all mad, we get all angry, and then we see division in the church. You know why? Because we think church is about us. We, we see church as this thing that we come to and we get entertained and we think it's cool and we like the music and the pastor doesn't preach too long. <laughs> and this minute it becomes uncomfortable, the minute it becomes difficult, I don't have anything to do with that. Your participation in the body is so that you might glorify God. So you know what? So you know what the you know what the Christ-like thing to do? You know what the glorifying God type thing to do? When somebody does something that upsets you or hurts you, forgive them as Christ forgave you. Love them as Christ loved you. Show forth and glorify the beauty of who Christ is. 
Because your salvation, your participation in the body is not about you, but about the glory of our Heavenly Father. When we lose sight of our position and our destination, you will find yourself lost. It's interesting because the Westminster Catechism uh, answered the question, what is the purpose of man? And the response was man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. Now, the question here is not just you and I, but, but, but the question is, what is the purpose of man? It, it is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. The answer, was, the answer was, was taken out of the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes where, where Solomon pursues everything in this world, tries everything in this world. He looks at wine, women, and riches. And ultimately, he, he comes to this conclusion. Ultimately, he says, the end of it all, after pursuing everything in this life, everything in this world, is fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And this truth is reflected in the presentation of philosopher Pascal, who spoke about a God-shaped hole that is in the life, the hearts of every man that is seeking to be fulfilled by God. You see, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and your life has been about finding fulfillment in all the things of this world, the reason you feel so often lost is because of this. Because of what the Westminster Catechism says, your chief and highest end is to glorify God. Because of what, what Solomon said, that the end of it all is to fear God and keep his commandments. You see, each one of us finds our purpose, our starting point, our destination in glorifying God. If you're here today and you're a believer, our place in him is to be set apart for his glory. Our path in him is to be set apart for his glory. And if you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, the truth is the reason you feel so often lost is because you've not tethered yourself. You've not understood where you are. You've not been fulfilled in the truth that the greatest thing you can do is live a life that glorifies God. As I read this passage, I discover that the second reality that allows Barnabas and Saul to live with directional intention in their lives is because they had something that was leading them. They were not left to their own devices, but they were being led deeply and truly and rightly. The number two thing that I saw on the Prepper's website 
for the things you need to make sure you don't get lost was bring a good GPS. <laughs> that almost seems like cheating, doesn't it? It's really good advice, but, but it almost seems like you're cheating. And when you understand the spiritual equivalent, I kind of feel the same way. When I understand the spiritual equivalent, I almost feel like it's cheating. I want you to take note of a couple important references in this morning's text. Starting in verse 2, it says, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul. In verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And now in verse 9, it says, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? In the three verses I just mentioned, what is the constant? The Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that said, you are set apart. It was the Holy Spirit that sent him out. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered Paul to stand up and say, you son of Satan, you enemy of righteousness. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit that empowered Paul to show forth the power of God. This is, this is so clearly the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us. It is the Holy Spirit that takes us from where we are right now to where he wants to go. So we are fulfilling our set-apart nature in him. It's so clearly the role of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus himself lays out the truth that our spiritual GPS is the Holy Spirit alive in us, guiding us and leading us. Galatians 5 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk according to the Spirit. The literal understanding of that is if we are in Christ, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Walk the path that the Holy Spirit lays out in front of you. And Paul in Romans makes a definitive statement when he says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What, what, what is he saying? He's saying, if you are a son of God, if you, are, if you are one who has been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ through his work, it says, you are then what? Led by the Holy Spirit. He guides us. He leads us. He directs us. Let me tell you something. I can't oversell this. The truth is we serve a living God. The, 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 the implication all throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament is you serve a living God and God alive in us, God alive in his church, God alive in this time, in this place is the Holy Spirit alive in you. It is not being dependent upon your own wisdom. It's not being dependent upon your own knowledge. 
It's being in a place in which the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding you. If we are going to be set apart for his glory, that is a destiny that we can only discover through him. It's not a destiny we can discover in our own abilities. The truth is our flesh leads us to the things of the flesh. But the spirit is the only thing that leads us to the things of the spirit. If you want to fulfill your destiny in Christ, to be the instruments of glory, not feeling lost in this life, it will only come by yielding to the spirit at work in you. And even as I say that, I want you to understand something. I know it's not easy. I know it's not an easy thing. For a lot of us, even as I say it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's not a whole lot of clarity. And what do you mean, pastor? How do, how do I follow the spirit of God? But the calling is not impossible. And what we have to understand is God's never calling us to something that we, he doesn't equip us to accomplish. It's not because you can do it. It's because the Holy Spirit in us leads us as we yield. The starting point really is to come to a place in which we say, I don't want to live for me anymore. I don't want my life to be about my flesh. I don't, I want, I don't want my life to be about what I get in this place. And the moment we position ourselves in that place, We've allowed ourselves to be then led by the Spirit. It's about yielding. The amazing impact the first century church had was a result of following the leading of the Holy Spirit. As I said, this isn't easy, but it is possible. And as I conclude this morning, I want you to understand how and why it is possible. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. There's, there's two phrases to note in the lead up to the power of God moving through them and impacting their world. Those phrases are while worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then it says, after fasting and praying, they sent them out. The situation is that, that Paul and Barnabas and some of the other leaders of the church in Antioch were worshiping. Or as the text says, we're ministering to the Lord and fasting. Judging by what happened, we can assume, I think, that the burden that drove them to fast was this. Where do we go from here? What's the pathway? Holy Spirit, lead me. They were fasting to seek the leading of the Holy Spirit in the direction of their mission, in the direction of their lives. 
They took the time out of their life to say, I have to fast, I have to pray, I have to worship, I have to place myself in a spiritual condition in which the Spirit of God can lead and guide me. In other words, the directional guidance came because they were deeply, deeply spiritually invested in this relationship, in this communion with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. They were preparing their hearts and spirits to receive through worship and fasting the direction that the Spirit of God had for them. The truth is this, you cannot set your sights on the things of this world and not think you won't be lost when the things of this world are shaken. But when you deeply set your, set your sights, your heart and your mind on the pursuit of the Holy Spirit, on the pursuit of the glory of God, on wanting to know him and spend time with him and engage with him, that's when you are foundationally set on who God is, and the Spirit of God can lead you. This is why the church exists. This is why the Word of God exists. This is why we come to times of worship. This is why we take time in prayer. This is why we study His Word. So that our actions show that our eyes are set on the things of God and not the things of this world. And when they are, the Spirit of God can lead us and guide us. It's one of the reasons why we started Spirit-led. Once a month for now, we've, we've decided we just want a time where we come together as the body of Christ. And we spend time in prayer and we spend time in worship. And we learn about his word. And then we just let the Spirit of God lead us so that we may know how he wants to use us. That's why we have Spirit-led tonight at 6 o'clock. So we may come and we may practice being led of the Spirit in the direction He has for us. Listen, here's the reality. If we do not live our lives for the glory of God, because that is our highest purpose, that is our positional purpose, location, we will find ourselves so often lost and alone and afraid. When we anchor ourselves in and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we anchor ourselves in to our purpose in Christ, our meaning in Christ, we will find ourselves continually and constantly awakened uh, shocked by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's where we find our foundation.